Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, as we continue our study through the book of Joel. We were originally going to do this in four weeks, but I couldn't learn fast enough, so we're, we're going to take a couple more weeks to go through the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, and our text for this morning will be verses 28 to 32. Follow along with me as I read the inerrant word of God this morning. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape. As the Lord has said, even among the survivor whom the Lord calls. There ends the reading of God's word. And why don't we go to the Lord in prayer before we tackle this text this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word, and you have given it to us in human language. You've given it us in our language. You have given us the Holy Spirit to help us interpret. And so this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be the teacher. We know that nothing good can come of this unless he is our teacher. And so I pray you would open our eyes to the truths of this scripture, that we might go out encouraged as we go from here, that, that we too will ultimately have the Holy Spirit and we will be spared from your judgment. I praise and thank you for that in your name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through the book of Joel and we started at a a breakneck speed as we started through chapter 1. And in chapter 1, we saw that there was a time of judgment that was being visited upon Judah as locusts were coming across the land. And these locusts were were making uh, the land unproductive and barren. It was like it was burnt up. And God says, I'm bringing this against you, Judah. Now, it doesn't tell us why God is doing this, but there is something that Judah has done in disobedience. And we know that the Old Testament covenant was there would be blessings for obedience and that there would be punishments for disobedience. And one of those things was exactly what is taking place here, that the land would not produce, that the Lord would not bring prosperity to them. And so in light of this locust plague that is coming across this this land, there's this word in verse 15, alas, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. And he says, this locust plague is a picture of a time to come when there is going to be judgment, a day of the Lord, while he will bring judgment against the world. And yet, in that judgment will also come blessings in the future. And so he says, this locust plague is a picture of that time to come, this day of the Lord that is to come. And in light of that, there's a call 
to consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the inhabitants of the land, and they are told to cry out to the Lord. And so the prophet himself cries out to the Lord, to you, O Lord, I cry. In other words, in light of this, in light of this locust plague, and in light of the day of the Lord that could be turned against us if we aren't obedient and repent, turn to the Lord. Then as he comes into chapter 2, again, he continues along this same idea, except this time there's a language change. And we talked about this last week a little bit, that he is now speaking about a locust plague with language that gives you the idea that he's talking about something more. We used the illustration last week of when your dog goes into the neighbor's yard, or, and if especially he's a farmer, and the farmer says, you know, it's probably not safe for your dog to be in our property. We would hate if something happens to that dog on our property. And that's farmer code for if you don't keep your dog off our property, we're going to shoot him, bury him, and you'll never see him again. And that is exactly what he is doing here in chapter 2. He's speaking about locusts, but he's speaking in, in what we would call end-time language that indicates that he's talking more than just about the locusts, but he's talking about events that will come in the day of the Lord in the future. And so using that language, he starts to talk about events that will take place in the future. And then in light of that, in light of this coming day of the Lord and this judgment and blessing to come, he again calls them to repentance. He calls them to turn to God and repent so that that day of the Lord will not overcome them. Then as we got to verse 18, there's a time gap here. In other words, all would agree that there is a time gap here because there is there's time for repentance. There's something that's taken place. And at first we might be tempted to think it's, it's immediate repentance and there's going to be a change uh, from the locust plague. But as the language goes, again, it, it appears that he is going into the future and now speaking of a future events that will take place at the return of Christ. And he now begins to talk about things that will happen in the restoration of Israel in the future. Just like they've had troubles with the locusts in the past, in the future there will be a restoration of repentance of the nation of Israel. And he begins to give them promises about the land and the restoration of the land and how he will restore the, the grain and the oil and the figs. And how he will take a northern army out of their nation and he will drive it out into desolate land. He will drive some of it into the sea because they have stood against God and God's anointed. And so as he comes through this section, he again calls them to, to recognize the blessings that God will restore to Israel in the future. Their vats will overflow with new wine and oil. And he says, I will make up for the years the swarming locust has eaten and the creeping locust. I will restore all those times of judgments I had with you. And you will be, have plenty and be satisfied and you will praise the name of your God. And he says, thus you will know that I am the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God 
and that there is no other. My people will never be put to shame. And he says this twice in verse 26. He says that my people will never be put to shame. And he said in the future, there's going to be a time when this takes place, when Israel is in the land with all of these blessings, that Israel will know that I am with them and they will never be put to shame. And the language there is never, ever, ever, never again. Now we know this much, Israel is not, shall we say, a place of non-shame now. In fact, he's writing this before the Babylonian and the Assyrian captivities. And so they know that this, that this, is taking, that this cannot have t- been taken place already because they have been put to shame and they continue to be put to shame. But he says in the future, there's going to come a time with, where there will be rejoicing in the land and God will restore the land back to its conditions like Eden. And now as we continue on, he says, not only am I going to give you, there's going to be a, a, a restoration of the land, but there's going to be a spiritual restoration of Israel as well. And it will come to all the individuals in that nation. And he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to restore you spiritually. and I'm going to pour out the spirit on you. And then ultimately, I will, I will spare you from my judgment. And so as he begins this section here, he, he comes and he, he gives really these two promises. You will, you will have received the Holy Spirit. And number two, I will keep you and save you and deliver you from that great day of the Lord. Now, we might say just off the hop, I don't know how that has anything to do with us. I mean, if God's going to do that to them in the future, what, what difference does that make to us? Well, I might suggest to you that the blessings that are poured out on Israel in the future are blessings that are now available to us. In other words, the Holy Spirit's given to believers. And we too can have the Holy Spirit. And we too can recognize that God, as it says in verse 32, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered, will be saved. We too find salvation in Jesus Christ. So this morning as we go, let us just walk through this text and see what the Lord has for us. Like I said, the last section said that Yahweh promised that he will dwell in the midst of his people, a reality attested by abundance, fruit, grain, new wine, and oil, and certainly that would be something that the Israelites would understand was a blessing from God because he had promised that in the Mosaic Covenant. The outpouring of rain and the... And the material blessings will give proof of his presence, and they will know that he is Yahweh. But in addition to the material blessings, Yahweh will shower down upon Israel spiritual blessings on a grand and unprecedented scale. As noted earlier in 2, 19 and 20, blessing and judgment go both in hand. In bringing blessing to his people, Yahweh must also hand out judgment to those who oppose his will and thwart his will. And we will see that in verses 30 and 32. 
So the spiritual blessings to be poured out will be accompanied by judgment and destruction of the opposition, and we'll see that in this text. So verse 28, it says, It will come about after this that I will pour my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. And then in verse 29, even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So after this point, after this points back to the previous section, Yahweh's presence will be manifested by an abundance of rain and the absence of physical needs, followed by another manifestation of the presence of, God, of his presence, the outpouring of the spirit. In other words, the spiritual and National restoration will follow in time after the material blessings. The second act of blessing would follow first. There we go. The outpouring of rain would be followed by another outpouring, the pouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, after this does not specify an eschatological reference time frame, but there are two other temporal phrases within this passage that that do. It says, in those days, verse 29, indicating as Joel 3.1 says, for behold, in those days and at that time, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, and I will gather the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them. And again, we know that has not taken place yet. So that is a future reference. And then it says, and before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, another reference to, a, to the awesome day of the Lord that has not come. And it says in, in Joel 2.11 again, the Lord utters his voice before his army, surely his camp will be great. For strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And again, it's that day of the Lord that was talked about earlier that is yet to come. And so he says here, there is going to be the super unprecedented supernatural activity described in the passage and the superlative language of the preceding section points to the fact that this is future. He says, I will never again make you a reproach among the nations. In other words, this will never ever happen. And so whatever is taking place here must take place after this promise. And my people will never be put to shame, it says in verse 26 and 27. And so this points to a future reference. In fact, in addition to this, Joel says that your sons and daughters refer, reinforces the conclusion that he is speaking of future generation, not a present one. And so there will be a, 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 a material blessings as a sign of Yahweh in the midst of Israel, but the outpouring of the Holy Spirit also demonstrates his presence. The gift of the Spirit is described in terms of an outpouring. He says, I will pour out my spirit on, on all mankind. It is an unprecedented, remarkable event. And as the rain poured down on the land, so the, reci the recipients will receive the Holy Spirit. The word pouring here 
is, does not mean a gradual pouring, but is rather a sudden massive spillage. And he's saying the Holy Spirit will be poured out in an unprecedented, unremarkable way. It will be poured out in great abundance. The prophets often associated the Spirit with, with the future, but they didn't always do it in the same way. In fact, the prophets poor, picked up the idea of, of pour, outpouring of the Spirit on Israel in, in several prophecies. Ezekiel promised that in the age to come, God would, by his Spirit, enable people to obey God from the heart. Ezekiel 36, 27 says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinance. You will live in the land that I gave your forefathers so you will be my people and I will be your God. Ezekiel again says in 37, 14, I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. And so again, there's this indication that there would be, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the nation of Israel who would be dwelling in the land and that God would give that to him so that, give that spirit to them so that they would be able to obey them. And in context of, of chapter 37, he goes on to say, my servant David will be a king over them and they will have one shepherd and they will walk in my ordinance and keep my statues and observe them. They will live on the land that I gave my servant Jacob in which my fathers lived and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst. My dwelling place also will be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst. So you can imagine what a Jewish person is thinking as he reads this. He's thinking, guess what? There's coming a time where God is going to pour out his spirit on Israel in a way that is un, un, uh, has not happened in the past, something that is grander than anything that has taken place. Now, this is a radical concept. This is a radical concept for a Jew because they would understand, right, that the Holy Spirit only came on certain individuals and only, there was only a few who actually had that the prophets, sometimes kings, people for service. But here he says, I'm going to put actually it within you. That's an incredible, incredible statement. For them who did not know the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there's a promise here that there's going to be an indwelling. Isaiah foretold of the day that the God would pour out a spirit in order to create a, com a new community. He says in Isaiah 44, 3, for I pour out water on a thirsty land and streams on a dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and a blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. Do not fear for I am with you and I will bring your offspring from the east 
and gather you from the west. And again, Ezekiel 39, 28. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God because I made them go into the exile among the nations and gathered them again into their own land. And I will leave none of them there any longer. And I will not hide my face from them any longer for I have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord. Zechariah picks up that same theme. He says that God will make it possible for a remnant of Israel to return to him. Zechariah 12.10, I will pour out on the house of David on in the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look at me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. In that day, there's that phrase again, there will be great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning on the, on the plain of Megiddo. And so all the, all the families of Israel will mourn. And so there's this picture here that, that as the prophets pick up this, this theme, that there's going to come a time where the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on the house of Israel. In Joel, the gift of the Spirit is prophetic. It enables people to prophesy, to experience revelatory dreams, and to see visions. And so he says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, literally on all flesh. Draws attention immediately between the, the uh, contrast between the flesh and the spirit. One is weak and frail. The other is powerful and pictures strength. But he says, listen, there's coming a time where I'm going to pour it out on all men. Now, all men can be, all flesh can be a general reference to all people, regardless of ethnic background, or even broader to refer to all living things. So context must determine what it means. Here it is referring to the Jews who will be present at that time. First, the terms your sons and daughters, etc., limits to Jewish descendants and not Gentiles. In context, he has been talking to the Jewish nation. This whole book is speaking to Judah. Second, context depicts the Gentiles as receiving wrath, not blessings. In other words, there's, the context here speaks of, of the Gentile nations receiving wrath. Joel 2.20, But I will remove the northern army from among you, and I will drive it into a parched and desolate land. Joel 3.2, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel. In other words, there's judgment coming to those nations. The rest of chapter 3 speaks of the same thing as it continues to talk about God's judgment on the nations. In fact, nowhere in the prophecy are the Gentiles promised any type of blessing here in Joel. Third, the oracle is to his land and to his people. He has been talking, God has been talking to the land and to his people, the nation of Israel. So, fourthly, why I think this is, is referring to the Jews only, refers, it refers to the same second advent time period as promises. Ezekiel 39, 29 I will not hide my face from it any longer, for I have poured out my spirit on Israel, declares the Lord. 
Joel 3.2, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley that I might enter in, into it on behalf of who? My people, my inheritance is Israel. And so he says, there's going to come a time then where the Holy Spirit will be poured out on Israel and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now again, we said this is a radical change. For Israel, the Holy Spirit has only come upon special people. In fact, I think the Jewish prayer was, the males would pray, thank, dear Lord, thank you that I am not a Gentile, and thank you that I am what? Not a woman, right? Because there was privilege in the society for males. And so what Joel is picturing here is something that is radically different than anything they have known radically from anything that they have experienced. Because we all know that only special people get the Holy Spirit and only special people will be able to prophesy and dream dreams. And yet he says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Now again, it doesn't tell us what they prophesy. It doesn't tell us what the dreams are. As one commentator said, well, they're old men, so they, God speaks to them in dreams because they sleep a lot. <laughs> He's being facetious. But, but the idea is, right, that God is speaking to them, and your young men will see visions. Well, it was, it was the older men, the leaders that used to receive this. And yet, here, the, here is this coming upon them. In fact, if we remember back in, in Numbers chapter 11, when the when the 70 elders were appointed in Israel, the, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they prophesied. And then the two men that were left behind, they prophesied. And there was a complaint by all the people, stop them prophesying. And, and what did Moses say? I wish that everyone could prophesy. I wish everyone would be able to do that, to praise God. And here, here in many ways is the answer to that request and that prayer that God will now pour out his spirit on everyone, even the male and female servants. Though the rights and privileges were few, God had made special provision for them. They were not totally excluded from the religious life or worship of Yahweh. They were counted part of the religious community and took part in Israel's festivals. Deuteronomy 5.14 tells us, but on the seventh day, is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you, your son or daughter, or male servant or female servant, or your ox or donkey, but you shall rest. And so here is, here is a case where they were actually involved in it, but no one, nowhere in the Old Testament is a slave ever recorded as receiving a gift of prophecy. Amos was a poor shepherd servant, but not an actual slave. And here he's saying, listen, in this new era, at this time in the future, every single person, regardless of race, I mean, sex, how, how much you made, 
where you were in society, you would be able to prophesy. The Holy Spirit would come upon them. He says, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And again, the emphasis is again on the, the pouring out of the spirit in a way that had never been poured out before. And so they would now have the privilege of standing among the prophets. Je- Jeremiah twenty three eighteen says, But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word or listened? But now they would prophesy and dream dreams and see visions. The emphasis seems to be here not so much on what they see and what they say, but on the fact that that they are prophesying, that they are dreaming, and that they are having visions. It's, again, a demonstration that God is amongst them, that he he is dwelling with them. And so it's not so much for the benefit of everyone else, but it's a, it's a picture to Israel that they have received the blessing of God. And so again, there is this idea here that there's coming a time where Israel will receive the Holy Spirit in the future and all of, all of them will receive the Holy Spirit fact we're told that they will no longer need a teacher it says they will not teach each other each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying know the Lord for they all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin and I will remember no more and verse 33 says but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days Again, that same phrase, after those days, after those days, I will make a covenant with the house of Israel. And so he says there's coming a time in the future for, for the Israel where God will pour out his spirit in a supernatural way that will demonstrate his pleasure and his presence with them. And each one of them will be able to prophesy or have visions or dream dreams. And so if I'm right, and this is future, then this is not for this age. This is not for us now. This is not a time where we would say, hey, this, we get the Holy Spirit, we get these things. Now remember, and I want to lay out a principle for you, prophecy cannot be less than it is, but it can be more. Prophecy cannot be less than it is, but it can be more. What do I mean by that? If I say to you, I'm going to give you a bicycle. If I'm going to be true to my word, I need to give you a bicycle. But if you show up and I say, well, I'm going to give you a bicycle and I'm going to give one to your friend, that's more. So what we do know is this. If God has promised this to Israel in the future, then this must take place. Regardless of what else takes place, minimally, this must take place in the future. And so he, remember, he is talking to, to Judah. He's giving them specific promises. 
And remember, Jews are sitting down and they are reading this. And we always want to ask the question, what is the original audience thinking as it reads this? And it is thinking this. There's coming a time in the future where God will pour out his spirit on all mankind, on the sons and daughters. They will dream dreams, even the male and female servants. Now, they don't know when, they don't know where, but they are thinking that. And so he promises them that's the Holy Spirit, and he will pour it out on them. So there's a time of, of blessing for the Holy Spirit, for, for the nation of Israel, as they will see the Holy Spirit work within them. Now, we're going to make some applications later, so don't worry, because you're going to say, well, what has that got to do with me? We'll get there. Then I want you to see that God rescues in the day of the Lord. He says, I will display wonders in the sky and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. Then the sun will be turned to darkness. The moon will into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it will come about that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape. And the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So he begins this section and, and he says, proof of Yahweh's presence will also extend not just to material blessings, not just to the Holy Spirit, but to signs and wonders that are displayed would include supernatural display of terrestrial and celestial wonders. In other words, wonders on earth, wonders in the sky. Joel 2.30 says, I will display wonders in the sky and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The, the sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so the timely rains that have come before, the bountiful harvest, the abundant outpouring of the Spirit speak of blessings. But now the tone changes abruptly in a description of Yahweh's supernatural power and cataclysmic judgment. His presence will mean deliverance for the righteous and judgment for the wicked. The events of verse 30 occur simultaneously or in close prox temporal proximity to verse 29. In other words, these things are, are close. There's the promise of the Spirit that's coming and the display in the skies are happening around the same time. Wonders often are used in, in tandem with sign. The term denotes a phenomena that are extraordinary and out of character of normal activity. activity. It frequently would, depicts the deliverance of judgment from the plagues in Egypt. And it's interesting how the language from Egypt here is similar to the language here as God ties his salvation of Israel out of Egypt to his second coming. And he says, there, there are these wonders that are coming. I will display wonders in the sky. And the, the idea here is whatever is taking place is supernatural. It is coming from the direct hand of God. These are not natural events. In other words, these, these are not solar eclipses. These are not forest fires. Whatever's taking place here is coming by the hand of God. They are wonders in the sky. They are signs. 
Joel expands on the wonders. He says there's, first of all, he goes the sky and earth, and then he starts with the earth and then goes to the sky. He says blood, fire, and columns of smoke. These things will happen on earth. These are often events that fire and smoke are described around the theophanies of God and his involvement in human affairs. They were present in, in Exodus during the plagues. Yet here, Yahweh displays his power over his enemies in an awe-inspiring way, using terms to depict war and destruction. But this is not a war, just another war. It's unprecedented and suggest, is as suggested by the term wonders. And so he says, there's going to be a time where God is going to be pouring out his judgment on the earth, and there's going to be like blood, fire, and columns of smoke. He said, the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great, awesome day of the Lord. Such phenomena are common features of the day of the Lord. Isaiah said in 13.10, for the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not flash forth light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. Joel 3.15, the sun and moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. Amos 8, 9, it will come about in that day, declares the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon and the earth dark in broad daylight. Zephaniah 1, 14, near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming quickly. Listen, the day of, of the Lord, in it, the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thickness. The ultimate fulfillment of these prophecies will take place during the time of the beast reign in Revelation. We see this in the breaking of the sixth seal and the scroll, Revelation 6. I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the skies fell to the earth as a fig tree ca casts an unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Again, the seventh seal, the fourth trumpet, Revelation 8:12. The fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for it had a third of it and the night in the same way. Again, Jesus describes similar events accompanying his return. Matthew 24. For then there will be great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders as to mislead many, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky 
and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Again, these signs are pictured as coming about at the time of Christ's second coming. Before it's, then it says here, before, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Literally translated, the word before here means to or at the face of, in the presence of. This word was translated when it says, you shall have no other gods before me. The idea is you're you're not supposed to have anything in his presence. And so the idea here is priority, rather of status, rather than, than telling about time. So he says, Consequently, timing must be derived from other passages dealing with the same event. And so he says, there's coming a time in this day of the Lord that I will display wonders in the sky, the blood and fire and columns of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. In other words, during this time, God is going to pour out his wrath on the earth and judge those who are opposed to him. Then he says this in verse 32. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. Now remember, he's talking in the future here, and he's saying there's coming a time, and it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. Well, who is he speaking here of here? He's speaking again of, of those who will be left at the end of the of the day of the Lord, of the Jews who are left after God has judged. And he says, I will, it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. You will, be, you will have escape. God will provide a way out of his judgment. He will save you. And those who will escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors who the Lord calls. So he says, you will be delivered for Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And he says, there's a time coming where you will be delivered because Yahweh will be in Jerusalem and Mount Zion. Mount Zion refers to the mount and the temple. Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. Psalmist says that they will call on the name of the Lord and beseech him to save them. So there will be a time where they will, they will be brought back in Jerusalem, and Yahweh will dwell with them, and they will dwell in safety. And they will come through and will not be destroyed. And so, again, Israel will be, will be spared and those who call upon the Lord. And again, the idea of calling upon the Lord isn't just calling upon his name, but it is a sincere turn of heart. It is a turning to God to worship him. It says in Isaiah, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and adornment of the survivors of Israel. Oh, 
Obadiah 1.17, but on the Mount Zion, there will be those who escape and it will be holy and the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. So whoever calls upon the Lord, and then again he says here at the very end, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. In other words, those, who are, those elect ones that God has called, those are the ones that he will deliver and will keep at the end time. So God has promised, first of all, to Israel that he will restore their land. He will restore, he will restore all the things that would happen, that they will have rain, that they will have plenty to eat, and they will be satisfied. They will praise God. And then he says, I will pour my spirit out on you in a way that you will dream dreams, and you will know that I'm among you. And I will sh- there will be supernatural displays in heaven as I judge but any of you who will come to me and call upon the Lord will be delivered and I will keep you and you will will be kept and I will come back to Mount Zion and I will possess it and there will be safety for you. So the question then becomes, and I think there's probably two questions on your mind right now. You've given us a lot of information about what you think is gonna happen in the future So the question, there should that be tickling the back of your mind. What about Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2. What, how does this tie in? Because this sounds very, very familiar. And how does this uh, uh, go with Acts chapter 2? And then how does it apply to me? Well, let's, Acts chapter 2. Peter quotes this in Acts chapter 2, and we're, we're quite familiar with that passage. P- Peter is speaking at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come. And the people see the, the, the men, the, the 12 disciples, speaking in tongues, and they say, these men are drunk. It's these men are drunk. This is, this, this is not normal. And Peter replies in chapter 2. And he says, Peter taking the stand, verse 14, with the eleven raised his voice and declared, Men of Judah, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let, let it be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what is spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on bond slaves, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy, I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what is he getting at here? Is he saying that Pentecost is the fulfillment of Joel 2? Is he saying actually this is what took place in Acts chapter 2. 
Well, first of all, if you'll look, does he say this is the fulfillment of Joel? He does not. He says this is what is spoken of through the prophet. Now we have to look and say what is taking place at Pentecost? We have the Holy Spirit coming upon men and they are, what are they doing? Speaking in tongues. They are speaking in human languages that they have not learned. Okay? Now, let's go back to the prophecy here. I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old man will dream dreams. Has that taken place? Did that take place at Pentecost? We would have to say no. In fact, speaking in tongues was very limited. We see as we go through, through Acts that the Holy Spirit comes on three Pentecosts. It comes on the Jews, it comes on the Samaritans, then it comes on the Gentiles, and then Later on, we see some action with John's disciples, some Old Testament believers. But primarily, the gift of tongues is limited. So we would say that we have no record of people having visions or dreaming dreams, your old men dreaming dreams. Even your bond slave, both men and women. So it would appear that that didn't take place. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire, vapor, the sun will be turned. Did any of those supernatural events take place at Pentecost? And we would say no. Now remember, Peter is responding to the accusation that those who are speaking in tongues are drunk. And he's simply responding, those men speaking in tongues are not drunk. Drunk. Why? Because they've been given what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So we read all the way through. He gets to the end here and he says, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, as he goes on, he now calls the people here, They tell him who the Lord Jesus Christ is, and he calls them to repent and believe. And here's here's Peter's point, and here's his connection. First of all, I just want to say at the beginning, and it shall be in the last days. That's different than Joel. And so it shall be in the last days, the Holy Spirit will be poured forth. In other words, he's saying this. The last days go from Christ's incarnation to a second advent and he says in the last days at the beginning of the last days Peter's focusing on the beginning of the last days the Holy Spirit will be poured out in other words the Holy Spirit is now available to all who believe in this time and salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ what he is saying and what he is connecting to Joel is simply this Though Joel was prophesying in the future that Israel would receive the Holy Spirit. And that is the primary thing of Joel. He is saying here, since Jesus Christ came, the Holy Spirit is now available to all who believe and salvation is in him. And so he quotes that whole quote 
to get the beginning and to get the end. Because nothing in the middle has taken place. Nothing in this, in verses in the middle here, took place at Pentecost. And so as he goes through this sermon, he then calls them and says that the Holy Spirit is available to them. He says, repent each of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus for forgiveness of sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who received his word were baptized that day and were added. In other words, salvation is here. The Holy Spirit is available to those who believe. And so Peter is not saying, guess what, that Joel is fulfilled here. He's saying this is a preliminary look as to what will take place in Joel. In other words, these two things are available at the beginning of the last days. Joel is looking at the end of the last days and saying this was what will take place when Christ returns. And so he says, for then he says, whoever believes then on Jesus, who he's defending here, can receive the Holy Spirit and can be saved. So Acts is not a fulfillment of Joel. We, we, we call it, you can call it whatever you like. You can call it a preliminary glimpse. You can call it uh, inauguration, you can call it preliminary, uh, a preliminary fulfillment, but it is not a full fulfillment of Joel because these things still have not taken place. And in fact, Joel is clear that these events are, are taking place at Christ's second advent when Christ returns to set up his kingdom. So Peter is not saying this is a fulfillment of Joel. But he's saying what's taking place at Pentecost is a preliminary look at what will take place in the future. So then, for us, what Peter's point is absolutely true. that salvation, that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Those who call upon the name of Jesus can be saved. Right? We know that no one who calls on him who's, who is not called by him, but we also know we don't want to annul human responsibility. You must call. And he says, those who call upon the name of the Lord, those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's Peter's point in this passage, this man whom you crucified, right? Who has attestified to you, who delivered over by the plan of God, raised him up. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In other words, it is salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is true in this age 
that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now you are not going to be speaking in tongues. You're not going to be dreaming dreams and visions. That's for the future. So for our charismatic brothers who think that that we're going to be that we that dreaming dreams and having visions and prophesying is for today, they're taking Joel and putting it in this age rather than seeing it where it should be in the future. But he says, I will give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will indwell you, and he will now mark you as mine. He will now empower you for living. He will now open your eyes to the truth of Scripture. He will empower you to be obedient. And so though God is promising Israel here that he will pour out his spirit on them and that he will save all those who call upon his name, the principle is for us as well. That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. If you come through him, he promises to save you, to send you another, another one like himself, the Holy Spirit, who will indwell you, who will seal you, baptize you, place you in the church, mark you as his, and then empower you for living. And so the question this morning is, have you called upon the name of the Lord? You may have sat in church for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 5 years, 1 year. But the call is still the same. If you will call on the name of the Lord, he promises that whosoever will may come. And those who come, he will not cast out. And so this morning, as an ambassador of Lord Jesus Christ, I ask you, take the blessings that have been promised to Israel, but now those benefits come to us and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can escape the day of the Lord and judgment to come. And if you do, then salvation is in the Lord and you too can receive his blessing now and in eternity. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would take the thoughts that were here today and that you would convince us of the truth of them through your word. Pray that you will give insight that is, goes beyond the teaching. And that you will help us to again to believe in your promises. You are a covenant-keeping God. And then I pray that you would help us to see where we stand before you. And that we would be those who have called upon the name of the Lord. And that we will be delivered. And then I pray you would help us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.